You're listening to Amphibicast. Welcome back, everyone. Thanks for joining me again. You're listening to Amphibicast. I'm your host, Andrew Bates, and this is going to be the third annual Holiday Spectacular. And what ba- what better way to ring in the new year and celebrate the holidays than with none other than Mike Titula. And Mike's been my guest, I think, every year for the Christmas time episode. And we're going to talk about pretty much whatever comes up. I really don't have a script for this one, but uh, Mike's got some pretty cool new frogs that he uh, imported into Canada. And I believe he's one of the few people that have certain uh, some of these species. So we're going to talk about that and some of the other projects that Mike's been up to over the past year. But um, beforehand, of course, I want to thank everybody for the usual stuff, the nice five-star reviews. I uh, just got the Spotify stats and um, a lot of cool stuff on there. Um, I think I mentioned it last time, actually, but um, a lot of uh, you know a lot of milestones were reached. And I want to thank all you guys for making that possible, everybody on Spotify. And, of course, it is the holiday season. If you guys want to support the show, a great way to do so is to become a patron on Patreon. $5 tier, get your shout-out at the beginning of an upcoming episode. And uh, I've also got some merchandise. I've got T-shirts and stickers and things like that. If you want to get some cool frog swag for the holidays, you know, you want to get them. They make great, <laughs> they make great stocking stuffers. Uh, that's in the link tree as well. And uh, you'll also find a link to in-situ ecosystems if you want to get a vivarium, 10% discount just for being a listener. Make a purchase through that link and you get 10% off just for being a fan of the show. And, of course, another great thing to do is to support amphibian conservation in Panama. There's a link in the link tree as well to support Panamanian frog conservation if that's something you'd like to do as well. So... Other than that, uh, it's been quite a day. Mike, how are you tonight? I'm doing great, Dan. Thanks for having me on and happy to be here for the, what, third annual, as you said, holiday extravaganza. Yeah, it's the third, it's the third annual holiday spectacular. I mean, you're, you're a little young to this, young for this, but back in the 70s and 80s, there would always be these like really cheesy holiday specials with like all sorts of like weird, like Dean Martin and like Paul Lind and stuff like that. And I know you probably never heard of those people, but... Yeah, it, it was always fun. It was always just, it was always so like, kind of like cringy that I don't know. I figured I'd, I'd, I'd mirror that cringiness in this, in this week's episode. So there you go. Perfect. That's my, that's my rationale behind that for all the, for all the sense it makes. Um, yeah. And it's, it, you know, it's funny, Mike and I were talking off air and I, I was just telling him, I just came back from the vet. I uh, got tied up at the exotics vet for a little bit earlier. It's kind of, kind of a bit of a ride for me. And uh, last time Mike and I recorded, I actually had to stop. This was last year. I had to stop the recording because I had to take my dog to the emergency vet because he ate part of an advent calendar. So, uh, <laughs> Mike, I'm, I'm trusting you to really carry tonight's show because it's been, I mean, I'm not even in my usual recording spot. This is so unprofessional. I'm, I'm down in my basement in my frog room. I had to move out of my usual spot just for the time being. So, um yeah, enough about me. Mike, what have you been what have you been up to since we spoke last? Oh man, I guess yeah, if it was last Christmas, there's been we would have just come home from the trip uh to Costa Rica. Uh and we find ourselves in a similar place this year, uh, except we are anxiously awaiting the trip in January. So myself, uh Dion, Adam from Wiccan's Wicked Reptiles, a bunch of other uh, YouTubers, as well as our exotic vet, funny enough, are all going on a trip to Madagascar. So I've been uh, using some Boxing Day dollars to pick up some new equipment, and and um, I'm definitely anxiously awaiting that. Uh, as you mentioned in the intro, I do have uh, the 
Ufaga Histrionica Fuego, the only ones in the country, uh, at least the only legal ones in the country. So uh, that's that's definitely a very neat thing and something that I never really would have expected. Of course, when we saw the Tesoros list, I had to fall in love with the very most expensive frog on the list. So here we are. <laughs> yeah, you, uh, why don't you tell me, it was, I know... Uh, I mean, if, if anybody listening hasn't caught it, Mike, follow Mike's channel on YouTube. He, he just did a really great video. You did the unboxing and um, you did a couple of, uh, I think you did a room tour as well, right? Um, but you kind of split an order with some other people. Do you want to tell me about how you worked out that whole process in terms of who wanted what and how you ended up getting it shipped up to Canada? Yeah, so it was, oh man, I need to like make sure I get every step in line here. It was basically a year ago. Um, from when we got the shipment, so like mid-October 2021, I guess, we had the idea of, hey, you know what, this might be something that we should try to do. Uh, Alec Brown, Dr. Alec Brown, our vet, kind of had the original idea. And uh, so he gathered a few people. He brought me on pretty much right away because he knew that I'd be interested in it. Uh, and then we ended up going... And basically extending the order all the way out to Calgary, so all the way across the country, essentially, uh, to a bunch of frog people and friends that I know. Um, we didn't get any lists until, I want to say it was like March, somewhere around there. Um, so we were just kind of saving our pennies and, and uh, or I guess dollars in this case. <laughs> and uh, we were essentially putting that order together we ended up getting the list after a bunch of other countries unfortunately so i was really hoping to get just standard redheads um or the large morph redheads but they were not on the list uh and my other second favorite was the blue histos they also weren't on the list so the fuego were so i ended up uh splurging and going for them uh now the import consisted of myself dr alec brown as i mentioned uh our friend indra from calgary i've made a few videos at his house uh he's got one of the nicest collections in canada for sure some of the nicest tanks definitely uh and then my good friend chris he was on the order and uh a guy that none of us really knew um but philippe from quebec he ended up taking up pretty much like 40% of the order um, with the the frogs. He essentially bought everything that we didn't buy. Uh, and I guess I'm trying to make sure I didn't forget anybody. Yeah, I think it was just that. Uh, we originally had a few other people that were interested in some of the redheads, but of course they weren't on the list, as I mentioned. So we ended up going through with the order. Uh, we basically left it to Alec to put it all together. And uh, being a vet, you know, he, he has limited amounts of time and he was busting his butt to get it all organized. And then we actually ended up using Northern Lights Reptile Imports as essentially the person who had the import license um, and organizing it with her could have been a bit smoother, but it wasn't bad overall. Uh, and then we got the order, we arranged it like three or four times in, I want to say like June, uh, and the temperatures just weren't 
working out. It was like 30 degrees Celsius here. It was too hot in Colombia. So then we ended up waiting until October, like mid-October to get the shipment. So when we purchased the frogs back in March, or I think we actually paid for them in like June. And then we, at that point, we paid for unsexed froglets. But by the time that we got them, they were pretty much adults. <laughs> so it kind of worked out. We got like tentative sexing on the animals that we ordered, obviously nothing guaranteed or no proven pairs or any of that. But uh, yeah, I, I hope that answers the question. Yeah. And as far as being the only people in Canada, I know that the, I, I don't, I don't want to say the exotics hobby, but I guess like the reptile and amphibian hobby in Canada is kind of small, right? So there's only like a few, a small group of people who are going to be interested in this type of stuff, right? Or am I, or am I mistaken? Yeah. So I mean, all of Canada essentially has the same amount of people as like LA. So it, you know, spread across across even more space than what the U.S. covers. So it's definitely a very kind of far and few between type hobby. Uh, There is one other person, the founder of the the late Biopod. I'm sure we all have. Uh, whether fond or not so fond memories of that. Um, He also did an order from Tesoros back in like 2017, I think. Um, I was actually working for Biopod at the time, so I was able to essentially take care of that order while I worked there. Um, But he didn't even join this import. It was just us. So, yeah, there's definitely a few other people that would have liked to have been on it, but... I guess at the time, maybe just didn't have the cash or uh, was kind of short notice. So, yeah, they they couldn't uh, drop some bank on some frogs. (laughs) So, Mike, what are your plans for the the frogs? Are you looking to get them established in Canada or like you look like just kind of what's like what's the what's the long term goal for these guys? Um, Truthfully, I haven't thought that far ahead. Obviously, I would love for them to be more prevalent in Canada and be able to provide them to those who want them. Uh, As we already went over, there probably isn't a huge number of those people. But truth be told, I mean, I know that these frogs can really vary in the quality, I guess, or the, the coloration of their offspring. So even if there's no real market for them, I'm happy just <laughs> keeping to my myself and, and enjoying the the individuals that I end up producing. Hopefully I don't, I don't want to jump the gun and say that I'm going to produce them, but uh, yeah, that, that's the goal is just enjoy them, make a really cool display tank for them and hope they do well and produce some babies. Yeah. And right now you have them in kind of a quarantine tank, right? You have them in a bin set up. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> that's kind of being generous. Uh, I know that our, our the the friend of the show, Mr. Troy Goldberg, he's been roasting me pretty hard as well as Alec was too. Uh, I procrastinated far too much on building their enclosure, and uh, so now we're here, and they are here. Uh, I did plan on housing them on bins for a couple weeks to months, just monitoring them and making sure they're doing well. Uh, but truth be told, I would have liked to have their enclosure already built and ready to go. Are you going to be using polyurethane foam? <laughs> uh, I knew that question was coming. Um, 
truthfully, part of me wants to make kind of a hybrid between all the different styles out there. So yes, polyurethane phone will probably make an appearance, but um, I was trying to incorporate some of the uh, Featherstone method from Justin Yeager. Um, I was going to potentially do some dry lock in there too. I, I'm, I'm still trying to build it all in my head right now. And that's the thing that I'm, that I'm struggling with because as much as I would love to use the like thick cork panels or um, the tree fern fiber, uh, I don't think it'll really give the appearance that I'm looking for. Um, so it, it, it's hard to say right now, but that's, that's kind of where we're at. I'm basically just formulating a clearer picture in my head. I'm I'm getting some subtle hints of uh, dislike towards the tree fern panel, Mike. <laughs> I mean, truthfully, I don't have truthfully I don't have enough experience with it. Like I've used it in a few tanks, and I haven't had the best results with it. So I what what I plan to do is I built a few smaller enclosures that I would like to set up, almost like mini trial runs of the big tank. And then they're big enough to house the frogs in there. Like, they're bigger than what they are currently in. So uh, it's not like I would feel bad for them living in a beautiful vivarium that I custom made. Um, so we'll probably try that out because those will be a lot easier to do kind of A-B testing and see which I like more, which does better, what keeps parameters more steady, that kind of deal. Yeah, I'm just I'm just joking around. I know I, I never I never realized that, um, you know, just some 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 lighthearted comments would uh, get so many hackles in an uproar. But I, I, you know, what someone asked me, they said, "Why don't you do something controversial?" And I guess I, I did. I, I spilled the tea and I got burned. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I, I to be fair, I have listened to that podcast and a few podcasts and and. I, I agree with most of the points you guys say because polyurethane phone, I mean, here it's almost as expensive as like tree fern fiber and stuff. Obviously, depending on the setup, the, the polyurethane will definitely go further. Like it'll it'll cover more distance, but a, one small 12-ounce can of the spray foam here is like $30, $30 almost with taxes. So... That hurts. <laughs> How have you been like? What is your plan in terms of keeping them like long term? I mean, are you looking to to pair them off? Are you looking to keep them individually? Like, what are your what's your kind of master plan in terms of like once their full setup is uh, is ready to go? A uh, full setup, I will likely for sure. I'll pair them off. Um, I only got three, and I think I got two males and one female. So we'll, we'll see how they do. Um, it is a fairly large enclosure, so I might toss all three in there once it's all, you know, running and the plants are growing and whatnot and just see how they do. And if I notice any issues in terms of combating or stress or any of those type deals, then I'll happily just separate them. And whether I sell a male, probably not. I'll probably just set up another enclosure for them because, in my opinion, you can never have too many frogs calling. So... <laughs> I, that's that's the master plan. I know, and I, I for everybody listening, if you can hear mine in the background again, I'm not in my I'm not in my usual spot, and of course it's you know it's dark out here, but you know dark frogs call during the dark, 
So there it goes. My terabilis are just sounding off, and it is. Uh, it's been dark up here for about two hours, but whatever. Uh, <laughs> it's it's so. I mean, Mike, this is another. I'm kind of ask a kind a candid question here, but I mean, you're a creator. Yeah. You 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 do YouTube videos pretty consistently. How do you cope with like the little hiccups and the things that like you know like like earlier like just so everybody's listening. Earlier, I had to do a, a double take because a fruit fly actually like went in my eye, and I had to stop, and we had to start over again. Mike, how do you deal with stuff like that, like on the content creator end? Like, how do you manage like when you have mishaps and stuff like that going on when you're recording? Um, it it depends on the kind of severity of the mishap. I mean, there's some where you really can't recover, and you just have to film it again. Like I, I know we were talking off air and. I'll probably leave it in the reptile room tour, but in the reptile room tour, I basically inhaled a fungus gnat and just like died on camera, like coughing for like minutes. And at that point, I kind of played it off. Like after I had recovered, I basically acted it out again and did kind of like a fake cough and then continued recording saying like, oh, yeah, I just ate a just ate a fungus gnat. So there's some protein for the day or whatever. Um, other than that, like, I know sometimes people don't really realize how long it takes for like tank builds and stuff. Uh, so if something goes wrong in there at at a certain point, you just kind of either have to refilm it or just admit and say, Oh, you know, I dropped my camera into spray foam, which has happened to me with my phone. That was a good time. Um, they, you just, you know, got to admit it and roll with the punches. Hopefully your audience either doesn't even notice or just doesn't care, uh, depending on how you play it off. No, they care. You, you'll hear it. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've, I've recorded things and people will say, hey, listen, you know what? At 45 minutes and 13 seconds in, you said this. And it's like, I, I, I'm sorry. I don't quite remember what happened at 45 minutes and 13 seconds. But, you know, error, errors happen. But... um for I, f- sure. I feel like, like you guys who do video, I feel like that's got to be even more challenging because, I mean, you're not just doing video, you're also doing audio to go along with that. And there's always, always mishaps and things that can go wrong. Like, was there ever a time where you were making a video and you had to just scrap the whole thing for some like weird glitch? Um, not scrap it, but induce a ton of stress. Yes. Um, on, on another note, before we get to that, I will say that um, there has been times where I have basically had to, like, in editing, I didn't catch it. But when I get tired, I'll typically say things completely backwards. Like, I'll be like, um, there's water in the can. or And then, in like, that's what I meant to say. But what I actually said was there's can in the water. And I like it rolls off my tongue. I don't even think about it. And then I'm in the editing and I'm like, what was I doing? <laughs> like, what is happening? Um, so there is times like that. But in terms of like the aggravating and, and hard times to recover from, I can think of a few times, uh, especially last year when I was editing the Costa Rica video. I basically my computer just like froze and completely shut down. So I had to like I brought it to the Apple store. I 
thankfully have everything backed up on like two hard drives so i have multiple backups of everything so it didn't really affect me too bad but it was a lot of like okay well not everything is backed up like the sound effects isn't the there's multiple things that weren't so that was a very very stressful and and expensive time as well so it it definitely happens but you know it's kind of what you sign up for if you're doing it more or less seriously i'm sure you've had your fair share of of mishaps or or maybe your dog eats uh (laughs) advent calendar and you have to stop the recording halfway through yeah that's those are things that happen i mean thankfully i don't do any of this live because there's been times where i've had guests um you know like something like a window has broken in the background or not not on my end i had a you know or a somebody drops something or like an army of people come in and it's so hard to be able to go back and well, you can't do that. And if it's on live, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of there for good. But even when you're Mm -hmm. recording, like I'll have a section where I'll have to go back and I'll have to really, really work to edit out a spot where, you know, like my wife and kids come home and the dogs are barking or making noise. And it's extremely frustrating. And I I don't think a lot of people realize just how, how time consuming it is to make content I mean, especially oh, yeah. the video has got to be, I mean, it, it takes me a few hours and I've kind of got it streamlined, but a few hours to record and edit and, you know, get everything the way, as close to the way I want it. But like, how long does it take you to make an average video, like an average room tour that's about an hour long on YouTube? How long does that take? Oh man. Like, I mean, I can share for this one and it's pretty consistent across the board, but like, I'll be filming for between like two and a half to three hours down there, even though the the video itself is only an hour, I'll be preparing food or wandering around or stubbing my toe and screaming or something like just silly things that happen that you don't see. And, and honestly, in terms of audio, it's probably even harder to edit those, you know, the kids coming home or whatever, uh, than it is to just cut a piece out of a video. Then you don't have to worry about it. You just kind of play it off like it didn't happen. But if you're in depth with a guest that maybe isn't like me and isn't a creator, or maybe it's one of the the doctors that you have on and, and they're sharing their research, like you don't want to, how do I put it? Like it's hard to explain to them the challenges. Like they just don't understand, you know? Um when there's a fan creaking in the background or whatever and like you can hear it but you don't want to be that person that's like hey do you mind (laughs) like do you mind uh shutting off the fan behind you because you can hear it in the audio and uh, like i've never had to do that thankfully but i know i do that all the time when i'm gaming with my friends or whatever if somebody's inhaling their microphone i'm always the first one that's like hey you know pull like we're not trying to hear your esophagus like we're trying to hear you talk here <laughs> <laughs> just that's just such a funny visual yeah i i, I mean I, I i try to treat everyone i mean obviously you, know, you and i are friends we talk a lot we, we don't just talk every time we do a podcast we talk fairly regularly so we joke around but i'll, I'll have a scientist on the show and i'm trying to keep the sh- i'm trying to keep the mood serious because i do different types of shows i do shows that are more serious and i do shows like tonight which are you know kind of you know, like hopefully funny, but, um, <laughs> and you know, certain everyone, everybody's different, you know, and to have an interaction with someone who's a scientist or a researcher, some people are, we'll, we'll just, you know, we'll connect, we'll have laughs and it's, it's totally cool. And we'll kind of vibe off of each other. And some people are a little bit more 
a little bit more aloof or a little bit more serious. And sometimes they're really busy as well. They'll have a really busy schedule. So they're just, they're just squeezing me in, you know, like between classes and office hours or something like that. So I, I try not to waste everybody's time, but there'll, yeah. there'll be times during an interview where something really, really distracting will happen in the background on the guest's end. And I don't want to say, like you said, like, hey, um, you know, can you stop? like, you know, shaking your glass full of ice or can you maybe put your dog outside? You know what I mean? You can't really do stuff like that because you don't want to, I don't want to inconvenience the person, but sometimes you have to kind of just lay down the law, but it it depends on the person. And then obviously with audio, I'm limited in terms of what I can do because I'm dealing with people from all all over the world. And like, like I I had, um, excuse me, I had a guest on from, from Panama uh, I, interesting enough, most of the guests I have from Central America, I generally get fairly good audio, but I could have someone from one state over and the audio is just terrible. Like I know, like you're in Canada, we're kind of, you know, working off of your Wi-Fi, and, yeah. um, it's, you know, we're, we're, we're not doing too bad. We had a little bit of, a little bit of, um, disruption in the beginning, but you're, you're, you're kind of limited. You know what I mean? You can't really do multiple takes, you know, and thankfully every time I had the people have been really, really, really patient. You, you yourself, because last year, as we talked about, there was the uh, the trip to the emergency vet, which was <laughs> unprompted, but you were cool about it, and we did it again. I think it was the next night or a week later. Yeah, yeah, and and I mean, it's it's nice when you can kind of roll with the punches, and and I also enjoy having a guest or or being a guest where you are more friendly, and you can kind of share those moments of like, hey, you know, I don't want to be a dick here, but like come on, man, stop, stop shaking your glass or whatever. <laughs> like You obviously can't do that with those scientists, but I mean, it, it happens like you, nothing's ever perfect. I know even when, um, I was filming that unboxing for the frogs, like I would have loved to have taken all or most of the frogs out to show the video because they're so variable. Like the, I think they're the yellow spotted brown or the brown i don't even know the ybbs is the the code on their container but there was a couple of them that were absolutely stunning in the shipment but the one that we pulled out was like a a brown muddy it looked basically like a campagna <laughs> i was like oh, okay uh you know the the kluas and cream dart frog and i was like okay that that's rough and then I ended up looking through the source photos that they that Tesoros provides you. And there were some in there that were stunning, but we only saw that one. So like I try to I'm trying not to inconvenience my friends because you know this is just kind of a side video. Like I'm not sitting here setting up trying to shoot everything, but I'm also trying to make a presentable video. So I don't want to be a dick and be like, hey, come on, let's let's take these frogs out. Obviously they're hundreds and hundreds or thousands of dollars for a frog i don't want anything to happen on my watch so yeah i mean it, it happens and, and you just gotta roll with the punches and you, you gotta hope the audience also kind of understands it to as as much as they can being removed from the whole creator recorder whatever world yeah i, I don't know i guess it's i mean people have to understand i mean because obviously you put some of your personality into your work and like obviously yeah i mean you don't want to open up a deli cup with a two thousand dollar or five thousand dollar frog in it 
and then have it just like, you know, spring its way out of there, you know, into like the abyss that is like the bottom of your closet or something like that. I mean, that's, <laughs> that could be, that could go horribly, horribly wrong. It's funny that you say that. Cause I had a, a similar incident. I had a fresh clutch of uh, my Philo Beatty's, um, terriblest Blackfoots. They've been giving me clutches of eggs every couple of weeks. And I have some tadpoles in my, um, in my, my tadpole tank. And I had a new clutch and I, I kind of shined my flashlight in there. And I looked at the Petri dish under the cocoa hot. I'm like, okay, great. There's a big, big egg mass in there. And, uh, I lifted the cocoa hut up to take the, the dish. It's actually not a Petri dish. It's actually the lid of a deli cup. But uh, I went to take that out and I looked, I'm like, wait, wait a minute, where are the eggs? And then I looked up and they were stuck inside the coconut hut. And then what happened was they just kind of like slid off the coconut and just like splattered like right onto the floor. And I'm like, yeah, I'm like, I really glad that I didn't, I didn't film this or anything like that. So (laughs) But that's yeah. People have to understand that it's, it's it's not all uh, it's not all the glamour that it, that it's made out to be. Well, and even like to go off that, like I've I had a video from probably four years now, maybe even five years at this point, where I was going to be bringing one of my monitor lizards into the vet, and uh, there was a pair in the enclosure. And I did the whole filmmaker thing where you open the door, put your camera in, close the door and walk through. It's like it's your first person or like your first time through the door. And um, I didn't check anything. Like I just set my camera down, walked in or walked out, then walked back in. And I went over to the tank and unfortunately my monitor uh, got pinned under the basking spot by a piece of cork and was basically monitor jerky. And I caught that like genuine reaction on camera, me just like sobbing, freaking out, like crying, figuring out what to do next. Like, do I still go to the vet? Because it was the other monitor that I was taking to the vet. So then I had to get through that and go to the vet with this other animal. So it was, uh, yeah, like sometimes like that, or sometimes things like that happen. And it's, it's up to the, I guess, creator whether they show it or not, I'm, I'm an open book. I don't hide anything. If something's not doing well, I'm very open about it. I don't like the, I don't know, kind of like false sense of reality that a lot of creators make that everything is all so sunshine and rainbows and they're breeding this and they're doing this and they're taking such great care of their animals when really they're not. Like there's several creators I can think of that do that. And yeah, it's it's frustrating to me, so I try and do the opposite. I try and be very open and honest and, and share the ups and the downs of the hobby because as much as as we love it or hate it, uh, it's not all sunshine and rainbows. There are definitely times, the longer you have animals, the more issues that you will have. It's just the universe. It's just facts. Like That's just what happens when you own more animals it's not that you're not paying attention to them it's just the statistics of it really yeah i like to do that too i I like to share things that have not gone well because i feel like if you paint the picture that you're doing absolutely everything right there's really nothing that it just it puts you at a distance between people that you're trying to relate to i mean like look i'm not an expert on on anything so i share with people when i have things that fail when i have you know when a clutch 
splats onto the floor. It, it, it happens. It's an accident. It, it happens. Um, you know, even the, like the veterinary treatment that I'm going through with, with one of my blood pythons, I've mentioned this kind of periodically throughout the course of the show and uh, it's challenging. Unfortunately, she, she had a relapse and, um, I had to go back to the vet and start over. But, you know, despite everything you do, sometimes things just happen and you, you learn from the mistake and you move forward. Yeah. And that's one of the, one of the keys of the hobby is in my mind, sharing as much as you can. Um, I know that the whole attacks from the animal groups, animal protection groups are not a good thing, but I think that um, it's the reality of, of animals. Like, unfortunately humans die too, <laughs> like to freak accidents. If, if you just think of humans as another animal, it's all, all the same essentially. And, and at the end of the day, like there's life and there's death. Yeah. And the other thing is there's so many more eyes on i mean i'm starting to not like the term exotics anymore because we've been keeping these things for years now and so so many of them are just so completely far removed from what they would look like in the wild not frogs i'm, I'm talking about you know a lot of reptiles especially snakes different morphs and whatnot yeah and um i mean even like hamsters i mean people have been keeping hamsters for like the past 60 years i'd hardly call them an exotic anymore but anyway um, not to get not to get too down a crazy rabbit hole, but um, <laughs> but I mean, with with exotics, there's so many more people are keeping exotics, and not just like the usual type of people. I mean, when I was younger, you know, it was a certain type of people that kept snakes. It was just you know, and I was one of them. They were usually like scary guys with with tattoos, and now it's not like that. So many people keep them, which is a great thing. But um, now that there's so many more animals out there in the hobby, there's more eyes on them. More people are taking their animals to vets. And you're going to see more and more problems. If back in 1990, back in 1995, say there was maybe a thousand bearded dragons in the hobby, that's nothing compared to the probably the millions that there are today. You're not going to notice so many things because there's a smaller group of people keeping them, and there's just not this wide pool of animals. So I, it really does make make sense to share and just be straight about it when something when something doesn't go positively. Yeah, and you never know who it's going to help. Like I know in a similar vein, like when we share things that we're doing in the reptile room or um, like tips when we're feeding or whatever, like that's the stuff that I lived for when I was kind of budding in the hobby and, and just starting my YouTube channel and just starting keeping reptiles more seriously. Like I would have loved to see some of those tips of buying a squeeze bottle on Amazon for $6 to make your crested gecko food rather than mixing 16 little cups individually. Like just those little things that maybe you don't think about, especially when you're that age. But if I had somebody now sharing all these cool little tips and tricks, uh, maybe it wouldn't, I guess, achieve the, uh, stardom or the viewership as, as you know sharing your 30 foot retick that that's not what i would really care about so yeah it's it's, it's very interesting to share both in my opinion yeah it, it's rewarding I, I like to watch i mean I, i'm i really mike i've always liked your channel even before you and i kind of you know got to know each other and Thank you. one of the things that I like the most about your channel, and I'm, I'm also really happy because you're doing really well. Like when I Google like reptile room tour, not, well, not Google, when I go on YouTube and I type in reptile room tour, you know, you're one of the first, if not the first creators that comes up is 
you do stuff like that. You offer people advice. You know what I mean? You, you make it relatable. It's not just a show and tell. It's, hey, listen, this is how I do this. This is how I keep my frogs. How do you keep your frogs? It's just, it's a nice give and take and a nice exchange that I find that is relatable to people who are in the hobby and want to know, you know, better ways to do things or different ways to do things. And I always thought that was a nice takeaway from your show was little stuff like that. Thank you. I, I appreciate it. I mean, that's, that's what we try and do. So I'm glad that, that it, uh, <laughs> gets some attention. Yeah. I mean, the, the whole sensational thing is, I mean, really more of a reptile thing. The, the frog thing, I mean, with the exception of, of, you know, some of the, the, the pixie, uh, the pixies and the horn frog complex, I mean, people aren't, you know, no one's feeding live rabbits to frogs and no one's wrestling with them unless there's something weird I don't know about. But um, a lot of that, a lot of that spectacle doesn't really make its way into the amphibian hobby the way it does in the reptile world. But I, I mean, as a content, as a content creator who focuses primarily on, on reptiles, how do you deal with that with a lot of the spectacle and a lot of the crazy, like, Hey, you know, I'm going to wrestle my 30 foot retic. Like, how do you, how do you deal with that? Like, how, like what's your opinion of that stuff? Um, it, it's, I would say it's a constant struggle. Um, because like, as you know, my channel is more based on my experiences, teaching what I've learned over the past nearly two decades is I'm keeping reptiles. Like just, uh, I, I read research papers. I try and share it in a relatable manner. I, I try and be educated on what subjects I'm talking about. And I know that's not always true with a lot of other content creators. Um, there, there, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of good ones, but there's also a lot of bad ones. So I guess in terms of sensationalism, the fact of the matter is, if you want a video to do well, it has to have a flashy title and a flashy thumbnail to get people's attention. Um, whether you call it clickbait or not, that's a whole other can of worms to open. But like I know with with my channel, I've had some kickback from local people uh <laughs> about incorporating the the dollar amount in the thumbnails or the the titles or whatever because it shows the commercialization of of the reptiles and uh, it depends where you fall on it i can kind of see both sides but at the end of the day the the fact of the matter is people make money on reptiles frogs too like People have businesses who make a living off this hobby, and that's you're not going to change that. It's it's not going to happen until the laws come down where reptile keeping or amphibian keeping is gone entirely. It's going to happen. Um, I personally think it's very neat to see those videos of really high dollar items or just to get the attention because I'm that way too. Like, I think we all are when you see $65,000 on frogs, like what does that buy you? <laughs> you know, how does that work? Um, or I've done other ones where uh, like one of our good friends, Ashley does imports from Europe and across the country or across the globe. And it was like a quarter million dollars worth of stuff. And how can like that, you wouldn't be like, I unbox a skink. 
like what what does that win? Nobody's gonna click on that. Nobody cares. So it's a constant draw for me, or or kind of a tug of war, I guess, for me, because there's a balance between finding views and just being completely sensational about it. And I I mean, in my opinion, I I like to think that I do a fairly decent job of maybe bringing people in for a thumbnail and a title, but also trying to cram in information and research and uh, like promoting conservation and preservation. Like that's what I try and do. That's me. That's not anything else. It's that's just how I am. I love science. I love research. I love technology. And I try and include it all in my channel. Getting people there is is another can of worms. <laughs> I I mean I I don't feel. I mean the thing about about podcasting. I mean I really shouldn't I really shouldn't weigh in on YouTube because I've never made a serious effort to become a presence on YouTube, which maybe you know maybe was a bad decision. But <laughs> you know in the podcasting world, stuff like that doesn't last. Like if, if your podcast is about stuff that's like spectacular in the absence of the visuals, you're not going to get listener retention. 100%, so yeah. I, I, I look at YouTube a lot for inspiration just to kind of see how things get sold. And there have been times where I've, you know, maybe very subtly put in a, a title or something like that, that is designed to get listeners in. And mm-hmm. I, even if they don't all listen, you know, maybe if I've gotten more retention, just through that and i find that like with youtube like in your position i mean i know what i know what your videos are going to be you're not going to nothing you're going to do is going to surprise me unless you like fire frogs out of a cannon or something like that (laughs) so i but i i expect i know your channel i know you we talk i know what to expect from your videos and i I look forward to them honestly when that video came out of the um the unboxing i was like oh wow i was at work and i was like uh i gotta go do something for 15 minutes and i I watched the video but um the, the the whole clickbait thing it's i mean it's it's a marketing technique that everybody uses anything that you yeah. want to do you're going to have to sell because you're making a product whether your product is a podcast whether your product is youtube whether your product is you know uh, books or whether your product is conservation and the other thing is conservation conservation efforts research it's everything in life it, it's all product and to yep. get it in front of people whether it's just for uh, you know, for a profit, whether it's for not for profit, whether it's for funding for donations, you still have to get people's attention. And it's better to get the attention of a million people and have 10,000 stay than get the attention of, you know, 100 people and have 90 of them stay. Yeah, I mean, if, if, if that makes any sense. Yeah. You, know, you want to, you're, you, you look, you work hard, you put in effort to produce something. And if you want to get people to get involved or to watch it or to listen, you have to, you have to draw people in. And unfortunately that's, that's the species that we are is we do need that sometimes that spectacle to get our attention. Yeah. And I mean, like my Costa Rica video, like we were talking earlier about how, how long it typically takes me to make a video and that Costa Rica video from, I guess a year ago now was like it, still is my very favorite video that I have ever made. It is the highest produced, the sound design, the audio, the storytelling. To me, it's like I kind of poured my heart and soul into like a 20 minute documentary, essentially. And I've had a few people agree with that. And unfortunately, I think even still it's sitting at like 2000 views or or three or maybe 4,000 views, something like that. So it, it, 
there's there's part of me that's thrilled that even that many people that watched it and there's the other part of me that thinks you know this is my best video this is peak mike titula content <laughs> and nobody watched it compared to a reptile rune tour or uh, one of those kind of more sensationalized i suppose unboxings like i get that people have different preferences and different choices but there's all sorts of corners of youtube travel youtube uh, you know herping youtube that kind of deal like if it could have found its way with the travel gang it probably would have done much better but you know it, that's not my niche so it it stuck to the small amount of people that that watched it and i, I guess i have to be thankful for that that anybody watched it <laughs> Yeah, and, it, and it's a good video. It's got good quality. I, I find that, I don't know if it's just that people tend to expect a certain pattern, and maybe when you deviate from that pattern, they don't, I mean, again, I, I don't know exactly how YouTube works. I don't know. They have to watch the whole video from start to finish, right, for it to count as a view? No. Oh, they don't. So they just have to watch like a few seconds of it, and it counts. Yeah. Really? Okay. That was, Yeah. all right, that's news to me. I thought you had to watch the whole thing. Yeah, we have like retention data, so we can look as YouTubers. We can look and see exactly how long the average viewer is staying, like exactly to the like the average view for this video is four minutes and thirty three seconds or whatever. That's interesting. I do, I mean I get some data from the different like I got a whole bunch of data from uh um uh, what am I saying Spotify and I get data from buzzsprout but i don't get anything that's that detailed like i don't know how long the average person or listens and i'm not even sure if it's i'm not even sure if the number of listens is just like someone clicks on it and starts it or if it's start to finish so i'm not really sure but i mean i guess with, with youtube there's more you know this youtube is a much bigger market than uh than podcasting but mm -hmm. you i mean you went to animal con over the summer in uh, back yep. in august what were some takeaways that you you know you picked up there like in terms of content creation because that's really what it was mostly about right yeah so for those viewers who might not know animal con was a essentially if you've heard of like e3 for gaming or there's playlist live for like vloggers on youtube like there's a bunch of different cons that happen where somebody gets uh like an organizer gets a bunch of YouTubers or X industry together and they have the public come in and have talks and meet and greets and experiences, products for sale, et cetera. So Brian Bartrek uh, ended up putting this animal con together. This was the very first one. It was in Orlando, Florida. And I believe the next one is already I don't know if it's announced yet, but like I know he's mentioned it a few times, so I know it's happening. Um, and truthfully, the the conference itself, uh, you could really tell it was a first year for something. Uh, it wasn't super uh, put together. Like there's definitely too many talks going on at once. Like literally every single, I think there were half an hour windows there would be like five presentations going on. So the attendees really had to pick and choose what they wanted to listen to at that time. So I think one of the improvements would be just to 
reduce that amount, even if maybe it's if, it, if it's every hour and there's two or three maybe going on at the same time. Uh, I think that would work a bit better. But in terms of the actual content creation, uh, unfortunately, I hardly got to attend them because my schedule was pretty packed and I know it wasn't even the busiest of everybody there. Um, I think I had presentations, whether I was moderating them or a part of the panel from like eight until noon uh, or nine until noon. And then after that, I think the presentations only went until two or three maybe. So there's only a couple ones after it that I could go uh, attend. So I didn't really, <laughs> I didn't really get to go to a whole lot of the, the panels, but I know there was a lot of good information put forth. And um, to the viewers out there that are interested, it's one heck of a time. You get to meet a lot of people. Everybody, for the most part, uh, was pretty open and, and friendly. Um, during our time there, our good friend Will Nace, he opened up his home to us. Uh, we went over and hung out for a while, and then he actually took a shark diving as well, or shark swimming. So that was one heck of an experience. Uh, we got to go night herping. We found some chameleons. So that was fantastic. Uh, as Garrett Hart will say, uh, I was the the, the sharp shooter of the group, and I ended up finding, I think, like 90 or 95% of the chameleons that were found that night. But, uh, yeah, I was, it, it was a lot of fun. Um, I, would, I would highly recommend making it out, if, if you can, Dan, even. I'm sure you would enjoy it, too. Yeah, it's just a little bit outside of, um, you know, a little bit outside of driving range for me, but it would be nice. Was there a lot of members of the public there besides people who created content? Um, there, I don't, I think they sold a lot less tickets than they expected. I want to say there was like 400 tickets sold somewhere around there, 500. So definitely not quite the numbers that he was hoping for, <laughs> but there, there was quite a few members of the public. Obviously, in those kind of spheres, I am pretty uh, low down on the totem pole when it comes to subscribers and draw for, for the event. But uh, I know there was a lot of people there, of course, to see Brian and to see Jay and to see a lot of the bigger names. Yeah, it seemed like it, it, it was an interesting thing because I've never seen anything like that that was really I mean, we, we've, there's reptile expos and there's symposiums and things like that, but I'd never seen anything that was specifically geared towards people who create, I mean, it wasn't just reptiles, but like exotic, um, content. Yeah. Yeah. There was a lot of, uh, like zookeepers and stuff there. There was people that dealt with like, uh, mostly mammals and like large predators and stuff like that. Like the jaguars and the tigers of the world. Um, yeah, there's there's a lot of variety to be had. Yeah, if they do one in in New York or or Jersey, I'll I'll definitely be on that. Little Chicago. Uh, too far. Yeah, Frog Day was Frog Day was in Chicago this year. It was just it's just too far. I, I'm just I'm not, I'm not a big traveler. I'm uh, I uh, I'm just not. Just I don't know. I I haven't been on a, a homebody. Yeah, I have, I mean I haven't been on a plane since uh, 2000. So, oh, wow. yeah, I'm just, we're just not, we're not really big travelers here, but, um, right Hey, look, you know what? Most of the stuff is, t is on YouTube anyway, so you can kind of get the hang of, 
what's going on and you know i get to have my little chats with people so it's kind of like yeah you get there. to you get to pull them aside afterwards and get the experience through them so it's almost better you get to you don't have to spend money on it and you get to just be comfy <laughs> yeah yeah i mean i don't get the joy like you know it'd be really funny if you guys are like you know like like knocking on like brian barchek's like hotel room door in like the middle of the night and then when he comes up like run away and you know it's not you don't get next the full, time yeah you don't get the full experience of like you know being there and like razzing people but um you know what it's 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 fun like i saw like i was talking to some other content creators that went uh like bill strand went and um i think richard stewart from the tarantula collective i think he went too and we, we were yep. we were talking about it and um you know, it was just a fun time. People like hanging out and whatnot. And like, that's, that's the stuff that you don't see on YouTube, but Hey, you know what? Like I talk to a lot of people anyway, so there's still, there's always chances to joke around and, and be silly. Yeah. It's nice to see people outside and, uh, outside of their kind of YouTube persona. It's nice to see people on more of a human level, I suppose, and, and see that oh, you know, this person isn't so crazy in person or or this person is just as crazy in person. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of uh, interesting things that you get through that. And I mean, through podcasting, I'm sure you get a certain amount of that sitting down and chatting for an hour and a half, two hours, whatever it ends up being. You definitely get more out of a person than a 15 second highlight or a 15 minute highlight reel of their week or their day or a set schedule, that kind of deal. You do, you do. Yeah. It's, um, you know, you get to be, cause uh, like, look, I mean, there's not really like any structure here. Like I'm not meeting somebody at the zoo and it's scripted or whatnot. It's a lot of times it's just me having a conversation with another person who, you know, you know, Dr. Smith, you know, might be, you know, in her, you know, office at, at some college campus or, you know, guest number 25 is, uh, you know, he's in his car and he's, he's sitting at a ball game or something like that. Everybody has lives, you know, everybody has personalities and a lot of that, a lot of that stuff will come out in the interviews, whether I air it or not. I mean, I always talk to people for a bit off air beforehand just to warm up and get to know each other a bit. Cause sometimes you, you interview somebody, somebody you come on cold and, um, you know, it depends on the person. Some people you can vibe off of and some people are just a little bit more reserved, but um, you know, I, 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 I do like, I'm, I like to joke around. I mean, I have a kind of a warped sense of humor, but you know, I can't, I can't, I can't inject that into every single episode. So I try to keep my, my person, my, you know, my, my, my podcast personality, I try to keep kind of serious and objective and whatnot. But I mean, I, I've talked to you all fair, you know, I'm, I'm like, I can get a little out there, but um <laughs> yeah don't get him started about polyurethane foam <laughs> i can't believe I, what a thing what a thing i can't believe that that happened but um how are your craspidopus doing remember we talked about that last time you had just moved your craspidopus out of a sterile bin into a fully planted dare i say it bioactive enclosure and um you got you got offspring out of them right uh i didn't you didn't okay uh, so I, I can kind of dig into it a little bit. Um, overall, I guess they're doing well. Uh, I know that the two adults that I had in a more sterile setup, actually, no, they were mostly raised in, in kind of a bioactive setup. Um, the juveniles to subadults that I ended up buying from one of the breeders out here, uh, most of them 
had MBD and still have MBD. So I bought five originally and I have two remaining that are subadults. Uh, and then I bought five tadpoles and I have three of those froglets that are doing well. Um, they're set up in like sterile tubs. So it, it's a mixed bag. Um, I had a very fun conversation with Mike Novi at, at Tinley and about the Craspidopus and, and keeping them. So lots of that, that man is a wealth of information. <laughs> Mike's great. I got to have him on again. I, 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 he just messaged me. I mean, I'm, well, b- by the time this, this, this episode airs, it'll be back a ways, but um, yeah, he, he messaged me like t- two days ago and we were just talking about stuff like that. And I was asking him, how's this and how's that? And he goes, yeah, you know, I'm working on this project and I'm backing off of this project now. But Mike's like, Mike is amazing because once you start talking to Mike, he, Mike can, Mike can talk about frogs for like two hours straight and never repeat himself. That's how well versed he is in it. It's like, it's it's amazing how much he knows, and just like any problem that comes up, he's just he you know he has answers to it, which is you know pretty incredible. Yeah, and and he never takes a breath the entire time. He just he yeah. just talks and talks, and and it's great. Like I, I don't want it to come off like like I didn't enjoy it. It was great having a chat with him in person. Uh, he was always one of those people that I kind of felt almost unachievable to talk to for whatever reason. But when we got to Tinley and started chatting and, you know, after we weren't just those like weirdos that show up at a booth and start talking to somebody, we kind of introduced ourselves and, and talked and, and, you know, he, he, we had a good chat about, about frogs and about the philosophies of keeping them and, and how he goes about it. So it's very eye-opening for me, for sure. Yeah, he's a really approachable guy. I I remember the, the first time I interviewed him, going back to like two years ago. I, f- I forget who put. I think Troy might have put me in touch with him. And um, you know, I te- I think I I texted him. You know, I introduced myself. I I, don't, I I hate coming out of nowhere. And um, he I said, yeah, you want you want to do this? He goes, yeah, cool, cool. He goes, um, so what are you gonna do? Are you gonna come over to my house or something? I'm like, no, man. I'm like, I live in New York. I'm not gonna drive all the way to Ohio. He goes, oh yeah. He goes, I wasn't quite sure how you were gonna work this, but that's the kind of guy he is. He's very, very open and engaging, and you know, he's always eager to help people. He's always eager to you know help people out who have questions about frogs, and he's just he's really knowledgeable, especially with really like odd, you know, difficult to keep species. Yeah, yeah. We ended up bringing back um, some Pachymedusa Dacne color uh from him so it was uh a very it still is a very fun experience they ended up not traveling as well as we had hoped so we had some troubleshooting to do and they're doing well now thankfully and uh, i know it's not frog related and we're going to get into the reptile world again but the hognos project that you have is doing really well right yeah yeah uh it's mostly brie i'm i'm never shy to admit that it is my girlfriend that takes all the credit for the hog noses. I I'm definitely learning with her as she kind of expands her knowledge about the morphs and the, the natural history of them. Um, but it really is her project uh, in terms of, I, I guess, care and raising the babies and such. Uh, 
but overall, yeah, they're they're doing fantastic. We've I think we have two hog noses left for this year, and we got big plans for next year. So uh, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully the economy doesn't crash too hard between now and then. <laughs> but I guess we'll have to see what happens. Is the market for them? Uh, you've, I mean, you've been exploring some to the U.S., right? Yeah, quite a few actually. Is the market um, most, bigger in the U.S. than in Canada? Oh yeah, yeah, it's huge. I mean, out here they're definitely growing in popularity. There's more people that uh, are getting into them. Uh, Bree and I's philosophy is kind of to target to play kind of both ends. We don't really want to fall in the middle. We want to target, you know, the normal hognose snake that you can buy for. 200 250 bucks and and that's pretty much as cheap as they are uh or you know the much higher end morphs that are 1500 2000 like that kind of deal um we're we're not trying to kind of put ourselves in the middle there uh like one of the things we are avoiding like the plague is the snows um because they have a lot of issues with essentially inbreeding and having like bug eyes and we've just been watching the market over the past year year and a half i guess maybe even two years and everybody is selling an albino het snow or a a het snow like a normal het snow like just the market is going to crash for those like i understand everybody wants a kind of whitish looking snake but my advice to any of those froggers out there that are also interested in hog nose, uh, do not go into snows as like a future proof plan because I can promise you it is not future proof. You couldn't pay me enough to breed reptiles. I just, even, even frogs, it's just, it's just such a hard return because like, I mean, in Canada, I'm sure it's different, but here in the U S the market for so many species is just so saturated, like especially where I am because we have a, there's a large constrictor band here that has been for a long time. So every time I go to a reptile expo here, it's the ball Python expo. And I mean, some of them are really beautiful, but I, I I don't, I can't buy that. There's like 180 different morphs. I mean, there's no purple ones. You know what I mean? There are no like hot pink ones. So I, 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 to me, they all kind of look like, different variations of brown and white and what i mean the albino ones in the piebald are, are pretty to me i like those and I, I always liked albino snakes but like some of the morph names it's like oh well this is a a double banana split creamsicle with cinnamon on top i'm like what like no it's not i'm like it's it's just a weird looking ball python i don't know that's just me but yeah it's it's it just seems like the market is just so i mean even with frogs even with with dart frogs it's starting to get that way the market is just so saturated that you almost want to gravitate towards the more high-end stuff because you feel like you're just getting something that a little bit more effort has been put into, I guess you could say. Well, and hog noses are even more challenging like than those species because they are natural toad eaters, so they're much more challenging to get started uh, than ball pythons or leopard geckos or crested geckos or whatever, like those very saturated markets thankfully the hog noses definitely aren't there now and there are still like new genes being discovered and found so it's it's not quite a saturated market yet 
Uh, and to put ourselves away from that, we also like to focus on other stuff, more rare things, uh, weird species of geckos that are very unknown, especially in the Canadian hobby. Uh, that's what we try and do. So we have, you know, the hog noses is kind of the bread and butter. That is what essentially funds the like weirder projects like the rat snakes or uh, the turtles that I have, like not that there was any money exchanged <laughs> at funding that project. Cause I brought them from my, my Calgary uh, move, I guess, but yeah, that's, that's what we try and do. We try and have good variety. Uh, we have kind of the bread and butter and the hog noses and then do the weird stuff on the side that kind of sets us apart from most breeders because a lot of the ball Python breeders and crusty breeders and stuff like that are just that they just, factory produce ball pythons and it's like i don't know I, there's no joy in that for me even even the hog noses to me like it it's not necessarily appealing to me to just crank out animals all the time like it's not something that i really even have time for like that's why it mostly is breeze i'm happy to feed i'm happy to help wherever i absolutely can but in terms of the the record keeping and the updating the books and stuff like that, like that's all her because I have the YouTube, I have my full time job, I have all my weird critters that are in the room as well. So, um, yeah, a lot lot of stuff going on here. <laughs> so explain one. There's one particular morph name for hognose that has always kind of confused me. Anaconda. How do they come up with the name anaconda? And it looks nothing like an anaconda how did that come into practice as far as i know and like i said i'm not the the hog nose expert here but as far as i know it's just the reduction of the pattern and it reduces it to kind of make circular blobs where if you made those circular patterns black and the snake green it would look kind of like an anaconda. Truth be told, I don't understand. And the amount of people that come up to us at expos and are like, an anaconda? Oh my God. And you're like, no, that's not it. <laughs> like, this is a hog nose. Don't get too excited. Yeah, that's what I was What I was thinking was, I mean, it's it's the farthest thing from an anaconda. It's the farthest thing from an anaconda. And I could very easily, With yeah, I could imagine... I guess an ill an ill informed person coming home with that little deli cup. Look at this anaconda I got. Uh, it's going to be thirty feet long, and then it you know grows into this like little snub nosed little creature. <laughs> but they, honestly, I, I I do I do I, I do find them to be cool snakes. I I like the way they look. I like the way they kind of look like these little pseudo like rattlesnakes when they flatten out. And I don't know. They're just they they are interesting. I, it's just. They, I don't know. I just never really got around to keeping them though. But yeah, like, I mean, they were illegal where I was from, like in Alberta, they're native. So they're illegal to own. So I was never really exposed to them at all. Um, but moving here, yeah, they're, they're one of Bree's loves. So, <laughs> and you have, you've called them mini monitors. You have these little green lizards that you've been really like raving about. You want to tell us about those too? Yes. Yeah. So, uh, tachydromus or the grass lizards. Um, man, I feel like I'm 
chatting to the wrong audience about this right now, but I, I, you guys can appreciate it. They can be set up. They do well in those type of habitats. So hear me out for those of you that are skeptical. Um, yeah, these guys are just basically relatively small lizards. Um, they're lizarded. They come from all the way from like Russia all the way down into uh, Japan, essentially. Um, so they, they are a very wide ranging genus of lizards. Uh, the ones that I keep are the Tachydromus dorsalis, which is, which is the Sakashima grass lizard, and the Tachydromus smardinus, which is the green grass lizard or emerald grass lizard, whatever you want to call it. They are, in my mind, uh, if you're in the reptile hobby, you always hear the mini monitor said to be uh, is the gastropholus prisina or... Uh, I don't even remember the common name for them, but that's the one that you see all the time preached as the mini monitor. And they're not really that much smaller than the tree monitors. Uh, whereas these guys are, I mean, from tip of the nose to the vent, probably like two and a half inches, maybe three inches, uh, if that. And their body length reaches, or their entire length reaches up to about 12 to 15 inches. But like I said, you know, 80% of that is tail. So uh, they're, they're just very charismatic. They're curious. They're diurnal, which is great. You see them all the time. They're out basking and running around looking for food. So they're truly just one of the best lizards in my opinion like out of all the animals that we have they're some of my very favorites yeah there's i mean there's always crossover and i mean i know a lot of people keep different species some people keep lizards and snakes and whatnot i mean there's a lot of people out there in the audience who i know just keep frogs but i mean i i couldn't imagine just keeping frogs i always like to keep something else even if it's just kind of an oddball species how come, uh, and this has kind of always been the elephant in the room for me, how come you never got into keeping inverts? You don't have any tarantulas or anything like that? Um, truthfully, I have actually kept quite a few tarantulas over my life. Like I had, I think, three or four for uh, about a year or so, and I ended up selling them before I moved out to Ontario. But they're... They're one of those animals that now that I've I've been so ingrained into the amphibians and reptiles that I just can't really justify dedicating the space to them. And right now, Bree ended up getting one. Uh, I think they're called like ladybird spiders. Uh, they're the I think Eurisis is their genus. They're just a little small spider that. You, especially at the size that he is now, you wouldn't even think is anything but like a house spider. But <laughs> as adults, they're very nice. Um, yeah, I, I, can't, I don't really have a great answer for you because I, I have kept them. And truthfully, they're just not my cup of tea. Like, uh, I know Bree would really like a scorpion and I would be down for that. Um, but again, they're just not like the top of my priority list, top of the list in order we or i guess the list to dedicate space to yeah i got into tarantulas as i mentioned before to kind of take a break from the stress of the frog hobby i needed something that was uh 
I don't know, something that was a little bit more relaxing because I, I like to sit and look at the frogs, but then I start worrying, well, do I have enough ventilation? Do I have, uh, you know, do I have enough fruit flies in there? I mean, I'm, like the tarantulas, I just sit and, st- they're like little, like little Zen, little Buddhist monk statues. They just sit there and I just watch them and just kind of get, kind of get lost in them. So they're like, that's like my meditation, uh, my meditation part of the room. I just kind of go over there and just stare at the spiders mindlessly for, for hours on end. <laughs> if there was ever yeah, a, I, a good reason to keep tarantulas, like, I guess that's it. Yeah. I mean, that's, I, I'm not opposed to it, but, uh, my, my like Zen state is typically gaming or just chatting with friends on the phone. I'm not, a uh, once I'm out of the reptile room, it's like, all right, let's, let's put things on the back burner for a few minutes and enjoy losing ourselves in a video game or, uh, you know, editing i guess in my case <laughs> yeah i know even uh, there are times where i even have to walk away because like i come downstairs and i start obsessing over st- i mean i don't have i don't have nearly as many animals as you do but for for me and like my lifestyle you know with the stuff i have going on I, I definitely have like enough i kind of like reach critical mass at like a certain number and then anyth- anything more than that i kind of get overwhelmed but yeah like, there are some times where i just i got like i i just i I, I'm not going to go downstairs today. I went downstairs this morning. I don't need to go down and I still go down anyway, but it it does. It takes a lot. It takes a lot out of you though. You do need, you do need kind of a break. Yeah. Yeah. Like I made a video this past week about like just a day in our life. And uh, I mean, I didn't even show everything and it's like, you know, it's challenging. You for me, you you wake up and I guess it's hard to complain because we do it to ourselves, but you wake up, you go to work, my nine to five, then you come home and then you start the the five to nine <laughs> and and you you work at home and you're always in the room. And then, of course, I don't have kids or anything. So that's a positive and there's no way I'd be able to do what we do with with kids. But yes, it's a lot of work. That's the bottom line. I don't don't want to sound like I'm complaining about it or anything. I love it. It's, it is my lifestyle. Um, but it definitely cuts out of things like vacations and time with friends and such like that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like for, for me, it, it just suits my lifestyle because like I said, we're not, we're not really big travelers and, um, you know, I just, I have my reasons for having the collection. I've I've always had animals and it does. It takes, it takes a lot out of you. I mean, me, like I'm at work at six 30 in the morning. So I'm at work. I go to work. I get out, pick up my kids, do my stuff with my kids, make dinner, clean up after dinner. Today I had to go to the vet. That ate up two hours. And then there's recording. And then by, by the end of the night, it's like nine, 10 o'clock. I'm like, I'm done for. And like some of you younger guys are doing like live streams at like, 11 o'clock at night uh, not even young guys even like troy troy does does like live streams at like 11 o'clock at night i'm like dude i'm sleeping man like <laughs> i don't, I don't yeah. know how some people can stay up that late but yeah it take it takes a lot out of you and people don't realize the amount of work that just goes into cleaning enclosures and making fruit fly cultures or setting up bins and it's 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 a lot i mean and like i said your collection is like head and shoulders way way bigger than mine but i couldn't yeah. ima- i couldn't imagine life any other way Agreed. Exactly. And that's just it. Like I, I was talking to Brie about this the other day. It's like, I don't know how there are people that come home from their job 
and don't have kids and don't have a dog and don't like just come home and do like what do you do what i don't understand like i've since i was eight years old i've had a reptile so like i've always had something to look at or to research more or i mean that's my personality i get kind of hooked into things and just go as deep as i possibly can in the topic researching watching youtube reading research papers like just go deep into it and uh yeah i've, I've never understood the other side where they come home and it's like ah i can just sit and do nothing i'm like how <laughs> yeah i think that i don't I, I that's why i think that we're the exception because like i don't stop moving like at all during the day and it's like certain things like it's almost like we're gluttons for punishment like like we're asking for it and yep. it's like me, like I, I have two big bull breed dogs. I have a boxer who is also deaf, which is a whole other sort of challenges. And the small, the smaller of the two, he's an, he's an English bulldog, American bulldog pit mix. And he's a tank. He's a wonderful <laughs> dog. He's, he's sitting next to me right now. And he's always the one that barks, but you know, I have, I have claw marks on my front door and I have claw marks on my back door. Cause he's, you know, he's a, He's a big dog and he's, and you try to explain that to people who don't quite get it. And they're like, do you really want to deal with this? And I'm like, uh, yes, maybe yeah. <laughs> I don't really know any other ways, but, um, yeah, I mean, I've always had, you know, big bull breed dogs and I've always had reptiles. I just, I feel like I agree with you. Like I can't imagine just coming home and just sitting on the couch and kind of just staring at the wall. Like it would just drive me nuts. But I guess that's also like certain people, gravitate towards more sedentary hobbies and some don't like even if it wasn't this even if it was something else like i can't sit still so like during like during like fishing season i'm out you know i'm like on the beach i'm walking maybe like a mile mile and a half during the whole course of that and i just i don't know i feel like if it wasn't this it would definitely be something else that would take up a ridiculous amount of time but it's definitely it's definitely like the only life i know yeah, I mean, when I was younger, I I used to do a whole bunch of art. Like I was always constantly drawing or sketching or painting or any of that. Like my, I would sit at the coffee table at home while my parents watched the hockey game or whatever, and I'd be drawing away, watching, like just always, like you said, always doing something. Yeah. So I mean, we're kind of at the end. I know you have to you have to be at. Um, I think you're going to Bree's parents, right? You, uh, I'm going to the airport. I, I I still have time if you want to keep going. I'm I'm enjoying the the chat. Like I don't have to be out for another hour, pretty much. Oh, okay, so, okay. Yeah. Well, I, I'm curious. Actually, what I was going to ask you was like, what your plans are for the holiday, and are you planning on having lasagna for Christmas this year? Lasagna for Christmas <laughs> this year. I was in your when you do doing your Instagram live a couple of weeks, a couple of days ago, or like last week or whatever. I was, I think it was you and Brie were in there and I said, is it normal to have lasagna for Thanksgiving? And I don't know if you saw it, but Brie responded and was like, we're not all from New York or something like that. <laughs> you didn't catch that? No, I didn't catch it at all. Yeah. Well, it was, it was funny because I guess she was, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't know Brie. I only interacted with her that one time on your, uh, your, uh, live stream on Instagram yeah. And I just thought it was, and then every, I don't know, I guess maybe you missed it. Cause you, I think you were having like a serious conversation with somebody else. No, no, I don't remember what she said. I said, I said, is it normal to have lasagna for Thanksgiving up in Canada? And she says, she says, no, she goes, we're not Italian. And I said, well, nobody's perfect. And then she 
started she started laughing because <laughs> that's a that's a thing here is we have lasagna for thanksgiving but i don't know interesting no yeah. we normally for like what do you I mean, we were actually in the U.S. during Canadian Thanksgiving, so we didn't have anything. That was the weekend of Tinley, so we we didn't even celebrate our Thanksgiving. But uh, Christmas time, typically, it's like I know some people will do turkey. Uh, we're more of like a a nice like smoked ham or like a prime rib or something type family, or a nice roast, one of those two, or I guess three. Uh, at least my family back home is that's, that's where I'll be for the holidays is, is back home, uh, in Calgary. So that's, that's probably where I'll be listening to this episode when it comes out. <laughs> yeah. I, I keep forgetting that Canada celebrates Thanksgiving on a different day. I think you guys are in what the end of October. Yeah. We're in October. It depends. It always falls on a different day, but yeah, it's mid October typically. Yeah. We're the last Thursday in November. And, uh, it's, 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 it's nice. You know, I, the, the, the joke is like, we get, I, I don't know if this is a New York thing or they do this elsewhere, but, uh, shop, right. The supermarket, they'll have like, you spend a certain amount of money during the month of November or whatever. And then you're eligible for either a free Turkey, a free ham or a lasagna. And Interesting. we always take the Turkey because none of us actually like lasagna, even though I made a big weird joke about it before. Um, it's just, it's so gross. And like, I remember like being at like family functions, although to be honest, we really didn't eat a lot of that stuff, but, um, like you'd go to a family function. It was like Christmas is like, Oh yeah, there it is. Just, uh, there's a lasagna just, just sitting there unapologetically. And, um, <laughs> I'm like, why are we doing this? Why can't we just have Turkey like everybody else? But I don't know. It's <laughs> one of those, one of those, you know what we do actually on Christmas, we have uh, we have shellfish. Oh, I'd love that. That's, oh man, yeah. Christmas Eve, it's like uh, an arrabbiata sauce, which is like um, it's a tomato sauce. It's kind of spicy, and it's got. Um, I mean, depending on how, like how hard it's 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 kind of like a Mediterranean thing. It was really popular with like Southern Italians and like my wife's family's Maltese. So you have they call it. I think it's like the feast, of, like the seven fishes, but it's like mussels clams uh some people put, will put like cod or like some kind of white fish in there um what I, I don't know if i said scallops yeah scallops mussels clams any kind of like like lobster or um all that stuff basically goes in a big pot and like we you know we eat it at like midnight and then the next day is christmas so that's in case anybody was wondering how the average new yorker celebrates christmas eve that's that's it that sounds like a dream. I I love seafood and shellfish and being from Alberta and now even in Ontario, there's not at least where we are a huge shellfish availability. So it's, it's a very rare occasion for me. Yeah, we've, we've got some good fish markets here. I mean, a lot of the stuff like, I mean, if you go into, well, not really like what most people think in New York City, like downtown Manhattan, but if you go up into the Bronx, there's this big, fish market there which is like huge all the restaurants and whatnot buy from there but yeah we're pretty lucky i mean i, I mean I'm, i live on a big island so we're pretty much you know you, you can pretty much like walk you know <laughs> you can pretty much walk out of your house and half of the island and you can find stuff to eat but um depending on where you live it's not always advisable because we got um <laughs> yeah yeah every, we get we get um 
we get algae blooms sometimes during the summer times, which is, it's, I mean, it, it actually does relate to amphibians because a lot of the pesticides and a lot of the nitrogen stuff, it gets into the water table that affects amphibian populations, but it also affects the fish populations. So we'll get these yep. huge algae blooms and it will actually, actually water actually becomes toxic, but they'll actually close the beaches down because you can get sick from being exposed yep. to this algae. And sometimes the nitrogen bloom is so big that it pulls all the oxygen out of the water and a lot of the fish will just, just die off. We'll have these huge die offs, but um, you know, you're usually safe like between September and June, maybe July and August. You got to watch out for, but sketchy. <laughs> yeah. It can be, a little, it can be a little scary, but um, all right, back on track. Cause that was, that was silly, but um, so before we wrap up, what what projects do you have up and coming? Like what's what's um on the horizon for you in terms of what you want to take on next project wise? Um, in terms of projects, we're we're pretty much tapped out in terms of space and and uh allocation of that space. So we won't be getting a whole lot of new things to kind of bring in. Uh that being said, I am getting a male bastimentos this weekend, so that's exciting. Um, but, uh, beyond that, I mean, we do, like I said, have a bunch of the kind of weird, rare, like Australian geckos that we keep, like the, um, Diplodactylus, Diplodactylus galliatus, or the, I want to call them like the Mesa geckos, I think is their common name. Uh, and then we have the Lucasium damium, which are the beaded geckos. So those are two species that... I know we'd love to produce. I don't think we'll do the Damium or the Lucasium. Nope. I don't think we'll do the Diplodactylus this year, uh, but we're really hoping to produce some of the Lucasium this year. Uh, I would love to produce the black-breasted leaf turtles. I'm going to be putting them down into a brumation here, probably when it gets a little colder outside, like January or so. Uh, and I guess I'll be gone most of January, so probably February, but, um, yeah, there's, there's that, uh, I would love to produce the Euromastics this year. Not sure if we're going to go too hard for that, just in terms of space. I know like 15 to 20 Euromastics babies is a lot, a lot of space and care to, to take care of. So, um, yeah. In terms of other projects going on, uh, we do have a large rat snake tank that we need to build. I have my large dart frog build, to, my large dart frog build to do. So that's that's kind of the main focuses. Uh, obviously, hopefully the I'd love over the next year, uh, assuming maybe I won't be on until next Christmas episode. Uh, I'd love to hopefully hit 100k on YouTube this coming 2023. So those are, those are the main goals. There's a lot of them. <laughs> yeah. And make sure you, you know, I, no, we're not going to wait until next year. I want to hear about Madagascar. So when you come back, um, we'll do, we'll do a deep, we'll do a debriefing. Perfect. Sounds yeah. good to me. Yeah. Where, where, which area of Madagascar are you going to specifically? Uh, we're covering most of the Southern part of the Island, uh, kind of central to Southern areas. Got it. Because I know there's a lot of different, there's a lot of different climate. Like Madagascar is crazy. Like part of it is like really, really arid. And then you've got like cool montane regions. And are you going to hit different 
like different biomes or you're going to stay kind of in, in one single one? Uh, as far as I know, we're hitting several of them. Uh, I truthfully, I haven't paid a whole whack load of attention to where exactly we're going. I think we just got the full itinerary, like two weeks ago, something like that, I guess now over a month for those of you that are listening well, when this comes out, but, uh, as of recording, yeah, it was only a couple weeks ago that we got the full itinerary and yeah, I, it's, it's going to be covering a lot of the Island. I'm really excited to see lemurs, like just as much as I'm excited to see the reptiles. I'm also a very big prosimian fan or, or lemur fan. So I can't wait to see those. Yeah. It sounds like it's going to be quite a trip. Well, Mike, I want to wish you a happy Christmas and a happy Boxing Day. And um, <laughs> what is Boxing Day, by the way? I'm not, I don't want to offend any, I know my, like half my audience is, is, can, is Canadian. I don't want to offend anybody. I'm just legitimately curious. What is Boxing Day? So Boxing Day is, uh, truthfully, I don't know what the root of it is, whether it's religious or not. I have no idea. Um, I know it's the day after Christmas. So December 26th is boxing day and that's kind of like our black friday like there's huge sales that go on uh that's all i really know it for like all those stampedes that you see for black friday deals is basically like that but in canada so you know everybody's like trampling people throwing maple syrup and snowballs at each other so yeah it's it's a it's a very i, I guess commercialized holiday <laughs> i i just and, i always picture i mean again I, my my only american understanding of canadians is the canadians that i've spoken to and the canadians that i've seen on south park so i have <laughs> i just i always picture canadian disagreements being very very civil like i mean here in new york around this time of year and i mean all the time it, it you know people can be a little bit brusque and a little bit, a little bit brutal. And I always picture Canadians like, you know, like, excuse me, buddy, can I get in there and get that? Oh, of course, buddy. I always just kind of picture like these interactions being really, really civil and calm. So it's kind of surprising to me that you guys have like chaotic, you know, full out brawl, like Black Friday sales the day after Christmas. It's just, it's, it just seems so crazy. Yeah, it's, I mean, I don't know if there's as many like stampedes and stuff as, as in, uh, the southern cousins uh, as you are americans uh but it's definitely like a very similar kind of deal like people wait outside balk or best buy or whatever all night to get in first to buy the whatever new tv or whatever they're after that day so it's very similar that way and i was just actually talking to it about brie or talking to brie about it because she was like, wait, Americans don't have Boxing Day? I'm like, no, you go down there and you say Boxing Day, and they're like, what the hell is that? Yeah, the, the day after Christmas is usually the day that we, we we say to ourselves, what the hell was I thinking? You know, when, <laughs> when you realize that you have, an, you have an 86-inch TV screen and you only have room for like a 40-inch TV screen or... I don't know. That just makes us typical Americans. I guess we, we, we waste everything, but it's like, well, why did I buy this? You know, <laughs> what, what am I, what possible reason could I have to do this? You know, yeah. that's, that's the day. Really nice movies. Yeah. Yeah. That, and like putting all of your kids Christmas stuff together. It's, I mean, my kids are older now. They don't really have that, but it was like, you'd spend like the remainder of Christmas morning and the next day, like putting together like every 
playset imaginable and yeah i don't know it was it was it was it was it was it was, it was fun but it's like that's and then the, the funny thing is i don't know if you guys do this up there too but um depending usually the christmas decorations around here anyway will stay up till around january 6th because that's the, the feast of the three wise men and mm. but like the day after thanksgiving black friday i don't know what it is thanksgiving i'm sorry yeah, the Thanksgiving people might still have like, you know, some of the people have like Thanksgiving decorations up by the, like daylight the next day, Black Friday by daylight, everyone has Christmas stuff up. And it's like, what were you, like when did you like, were you doing this in the middle of the night? Like when, <laughs> when did this, when did this happen? Because there's nothing Black Friday, like first thing in the morning, everybody's lights are up by like daybreak. And it's, it's, it's weird. It's like, where, like who, who did this and how? And why aren't and why am I the last one on the block to put his stuff up? Yeah, yeah, my my a lot of times here it's even more extended. A lot of times in Canada because we have Thanksgiving and like I said the the beginning or mid October basically. Uh, a lot of people put their decorations up after Thanksgiving, so they're up for most of November and then all of December. And I like I know my parents are really big Christmas fans. Uh, they'll keep their lights up for like outside on the house until it's basically springtime because here in Canada, at least a lot of Canada, it's almost too cold to take it down any sooner (laughs) when it's minus 30 degrees Celsius outside. And you really don't want to go outside prying lights off your house. So yeah, that's what ends up happening here. I can see that. Yeah, I can, I can picture that. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't want to do that either if it was 30 degrees, but yeah. All right. Well, Mike, it's been a fun chat. And for everybody who made it this far through the, uh, through our unscripted candid holiday spectacular, I want to thank everybody for listening and Hey, look, whatever you're into this time of the year, I know we talk about Christmas, but whatever you're into, you know, spend time with your family, think about stuff that you're grateful for and you're thankful for and have a new year. And, um, you know, I'm going to be taking a little break, uh, for the next week or two just to kind of refuel. I know we're kind of airing this before the holiday weekend, but, um, uh, I'm going to take a little break. I have some new stuff that I'm going to recording, but, um, you know, when you're putting out an episode a week, pretty much every week for two and a half years, uh, you do need a little bit of, a little bit of a break every once in a while. So, uh, if you guys don't hear from me for the next week or two, um, don't panic. I've got new stuff that's going to be in the wings. I'm probably going to start releasing new episodes in January. So make sure you stay tuned to that. I've got the usual good stuff coming up. So I hope you guys enjoyed it. You know, happy end of the year, holidays, happy new year, whatever you guys are into. And I will catch up with you again next time.